Hey Scott. Yes, sir. Is it Christmas yet? 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 Coming to you almost live from the South Pole because Adam got lost finding the North Pole. This is the Unknown Studio. I'm Scott. And I'm driving. And we are your hosts. And this is uh, an unusual sort of event for the Unknown Studio because Scott and I didn't want to have guests this time around. No, we didn't. Lately, they've just been so terrible. I'm kidding. That uh, we decided to do a little Unknown Studio Christmas special. Just me and Scotty. And so here we are. And here we are. And and we're going to talk about, uh, you know, Christmas past, present, perhaps future. What what do you think Christmas would be like in the future? Probably much the same as it is now. Christmas is kind of a traditional holiday. It's, it's, it's a traditional holiday. It's a conservative element of society. It's very likely that it will. The technology of Christmas might continue to uh, yes. advance, but the... Uh, at its at its heart, the the actual celebration, as it were, probably won't change too much from what it is now, which is to say, crass commercialism. Is oh yes, absolutely, and uh, and in fact, in the spirit of crass commercialism, uh, later on, Scott and I will be exchanging gifts. Indeed, um, uh, I really do hope though that the, fu- the Christmas future has um, you know pneumatic tubes, people transporters. Let's go back to those days. And make it more futuristic. Really, uh, steampunk Christmas future. That's what I'm looking for. The Jetsons took place in the fantastical future world of 1999. I didn't know that. Where is my flying car? Yeah, yeah, your flying car that turns into a briefcase. Exactly. There's probably an app for that. Probably. (laughs) Unfortunately. uh, I'm not really sure how I feel about Christmas. I I, I find that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm hot and cold. Because... I hate spending money on other people. <laughs> I'm that selfish. It's just that it, when when I when I give people gifts and and you know that's part of the Christmas tradition. We will say, uh, I kind of wind up going all out. So you set price limits and and you and I set one. And I, uh, aside from taxes, like GST, pretty sure I stayed within the range there. Fair enough. Yeah. But, uh, you know, so, so I went to the dollar store, so <laughs> you dick. <laughs> <laughs> all I got were these, uh, these, uh, um, beverage, uh, parasols. That's all Scott got for me. Just a, a fucking case of things. <laughs> Merry Christmas. If it and, ever rains. And you, and you can find out if that's true or not in just a little while. <laughs> it better be. Now that I think about it. Uh, I think the thing that has been missing from my life is drink parasols. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Um, but but uh, I'm excited about Christmas this year. I you know it's a time of year when when uh, all my friends who 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 thought they were smart enough to leave Edmonton <laughs> come back, <laughs> see that it's not so bad, and then regret not living here for the you know next uh, well year. Uh, so there's a lot of visiting, but um, you know it's the running around, the shopping, the getting prepared. It's uh, it's exhausting. I love Christmas, and that is unusual when you consider how totally not religious I am. Um, the the actual celebration, like religious celebration of Christmas, is totally lost on me. I like the holiday itself. I like 
the the coming together of family and friends. I like the fellowship. I like the, I like the exchanging of gifts. I like the decorations. The symbolism is not lost on me, but I don't care about it. I like what it is. And it's always been a big deal for me. And I also tend to go all out because I like it. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Um, but you don't need, uh, um, you don't need religion necessarily to appreciate what, what it means, you know, this time of season. It's the dead of winter. And rather than hiding out, we're all getting together and eating a whole pile of food and, and enjoying each other's company and remembering why we're members of families. Because we were born into them and we didn't have a choice. That message sort of got away from me. I'm sorry. A little bit. Yeah. But, uh... Yeah. I mean, this is me being hot and cold on Christmas, you know, because you go you go to like family dinner and, and now in my family, you know, um, all my cousins have grown up They're You know, we're all the same age. Right. So they've got their own families. They're doing their own thing. And, and that's what we're starting to do at my in my family. Although now that both of my brothers are married, the families are expanding. So there's there are more people to see. But when we used to do Christmas when I was a kid, and you just get a whole pile of relatives, some of them you liked and some of them you didn't. And it was the ones that you didn't that made Christmas the most memorable. The extra special. Yeah, because, you know, everybody's got a drunk uncle. Am I wrong? Do you have a drunk uncle? I have a drunk uncle, yes. See, I've got a drunk... And, and you know what? I shouldn't make light of it because he actually... Uh, you know, it, this is a problem. It's a, it's a, it's an issue that he's dealing with, but that doesn't change his behavior at Christmas. Uh, and that is to drink. And I remember one Christmas he, uh, was so drunk that he wound up, ex- my little brother extorted him for cash. We asked him for like a couple of twenties and uncle, my uncle Peter was like, yeah, yeah, sure. Here's some, here's some money. And, uh, he was 40 bucks lighter. Uh, my little brother is very clever that way. He also ruins Christmas just like my uncle, who didn't actually ruin it. He just made it colorful, interesting, obnoxious, you know. I don't have any specific family members that I can think of who I would say, I won't say ruin Christmas, but <laughs> well, of course, but add, add some color, some spice to it. I, I can't think of anybody in my family who does that. That's what you guys use nutmeg for, right? Exactly. Yes. Um, so, so what was... Uh, I imagine that that uh, Christmas morning at the bourgeois residence somehow involved Dungeons and Dragons. No, no. Okay, tell no. me, tell me. What My you... parents not as strange and nerdy as I am, even a little bit. Oh, well, tell me what the uh, Christmas tradition at your house was like. Um, my Christmas tradition is what has been lovingly called by my better half the Christmas 500. (laughs) The Christmas 500 is a race to see as many people as possible in as short a time as possible in Christmas. And it, uh, when I was young, we had it split between the two families. So we'd start with my dad's side of the family who would only do Christmas Eve. Mm -hmm. And then eventually that would migrate over to my mother's family who did Christmas Day. So we'd start at my Mame's house where everybody would have the big Christmas and then there was the midnight mass and then there was Christmas dinner and then there was presents and the kids were all exhausted. And my parents would take me, load me into the into the car. I thought you were going to say the trunk. And then drive me to Lougheed, Alberta, which is in the middle of nowhere, which, which is where my grandparents live, my mother's side. Henceforth known as the Christmas capital of Alberta. And uh, that's like several hour drive in the middle of the morning. 
Uh, and uh, then I would wake up there miraculously, and uh, we'd have Christmas morning there. That was that was when I was very young. Now eventually that changed because uh, my grandparents on both sides weren't able to handle the capacity of the family, or of or just you know weren't weren't interested in doing the big things. So my dad's family started sharing Christmas amongst each other. We still do Christmas Eve with them. We still go to someone's house for Christmas Eve, but it's not as big a production. Right. Then we would go home to my to our place for the night, Christmas morning, open presents, and then head over to whichever one of my mother's family members were hosting Christmas Day, which would be in Edmonton, so yep. not as long a track. Um, somehow, we still managed to fit all that in because now we're splitting it with Anita's family too. So we'll start with my family on Christmas Eve and then go to my parents' place and then sleep over there and then wake up and have Christmas morning and then get into the car and drive to Leduc to go and see Anita's parents and have Christmas morning there at noonish and then go to her aunt's place for Christmas dinner on Christmas Day. Christmas 500 preserved. And then just to make it even <laughs> more complicated, we switch it every year because otherwise I won't see my mother's family. So we'll go to Anita's parents on Christmas Eve and her family on Christmas Eve and then go see my mother's family Christmas Day and just miss the bourgeois altogether. And that's <laughs> and I, that's fine. Anita hates it. She hates it. She, she hates the Christmas 500. Hates the Christmas 500. She if she had her way, we would stay home for Christmas. Really? We would it's not that she doesn't want to see her friends or family. It's that she doesn't like the hassle of going from place to place to place to place to place. And I would be miserable because it's all I've ever known for Christmas. And for me, Christmas is about cramming as much Christmas as possible into like a 48-hour period. That is crazy. And I would not have it any other way. You're somewhere in between uh, in terms of j uh, duration, like the traditional Catholic Christmas and, uh, and uh, Hanukkah. Really? Like, you get two nights or whatever, or two full days of just cruising around. Your parents uh, driving into Lougheed, so you get there, you wake up, you're ready to, what, crack open more presents kind of thing? They must have just been exhausted. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Your parents are, are a saintly pair. They are machines. I don't know how they... <gasps> I think, honestly... Do you think they're Terminators? No, I don't. Oh, okay. I honestly, however, don't know how they did it. Like, they must have taken three days off and just been, like, like sleeping all day yeah. leading up to Christmas Eve so they can go out. And basically, they're up for the next 24 hours because they... There's no stopping. There's no stopping because... When I said midnight mass with the bourgeois family, I meant literally the adults of the house put the kids to sleep at midnight, went to mass, came back, woke the kids up, and then had Christmas dinner. We're talking like two in the morning. Wow, man. Like it- Actually, that, that's not Because unusual. you mentioned, but you mentioned Roman Catholic Christmas. Right. And the bourgeois are Roman Catholic. Yeah. And so it was. It was a big Roman Catholic Christmas. I think uh, that that reminds me of the way my mom described her Christmas. Everything that they did back in old country France was on Christmas Eve. Like, you feasted Christmas Eve night, or I guess Christmas morning, immediately after uh, midnight mass, opened all your gifts and everything, and Christmas Day was spent being lazy. Like, that was your day off if you were a farmer, I guess, that you just relax Christmas Day, and then you get right back out there the next day. Um, uh, we... We didn't do a Christmas 500, but we always seem to 
spend a little bit of time cruising around on Christmas Eve and Christmas Eve or on Christmas Day because uh, we would go to the Rosenhart's house, my Oma and Opa, and uh, and eat fine uh, sausage rolls that were, you know, handmade by my Oma and like these weird Dutch waffles and all that. Like the Dutch and their pastries and foods are so hilarious. But anyways, uh, so we'd go there and uh, and spend, you know, Christmas Eve with uh, Oma and Opa and just relax and my parents would have a few drinks and the cousins would come over and, you know, by, I don't know, 12, 1 in the morning, they'd take us home. And then Christmas Day, when, uh, but of course, when we got home, I should say, on Christmas Eve, we would beg my parents to open one present. We, you know, that was kind of the thing. And now it's like reversed. My parents are like, maybe we should open a present on Christmas Eve. And m- me and my brothers are just like, no, you guys, like, that's not how it works. We're laying down the law. You may have done it for us, but we will not do it for you. <laughs> and then and then Christmas morning, of course, the giant cluster of opening presents and stuff like that. Although we, uh, I apparently I, I've ruined Christmas a couple times for my mom. Because uh, I would wake up very early in the morning, take my bedspread with me downstairs to the tree, sort all the gifts into little piles, and just wait for everybody to come downstairs. So, you know, the whole, like, shuffling around presents under the tree? We didn't do that because uh, I wouldn't allow it. I was too OCD and needed to assess. My uh, mother laid down the law when I was very young that Christmas didn't start on Christmas Day until 7 o'clock. 7 o'clock. That's still pretty early. Here's the thing. Actually, that's really early. Here's the thing. My mother has since admitted she has never slept a wink on any Christmas night. She's so excited. She is so excited for Christmas, she can't sleep. She would be up at 5 a.m. opening the presents, but she was, no, Scott needs to have a full night's sleep. He cannot wake up earlier than 7 o'clock. And proper no, so she, so she would, like, be in bed looking at the hours tick by <laughs> and just, like, waiting with bated breath for Christmas Day to start. And, of course, I'm doing the same thing downstairs, except I think everybody upstairs is asleep. Yeah. So I was tricked is what I'm saying. <laughs> Your parents tricked you. Um, I used to do that, too, stare at the clock and wonder why time was passing so slowly and just feeling like you wanted to kill yourself if you couldn't get downstairs to open presents. But now now it's like uh, we all go down to Calgary now, uh, me and my brothers. My older brother lives in Calgary, and, and my little brother and I live in Edmonton. So we'll go down to Calgary. Sometimes we'll run into each other while we're there because with girlfriends and wives, people are all, all over the place doing their own Christmas 500s. But... Uh, Basically, our parents have to wake us up on Christmas morning now because we just like to sleep. And we stay up late on Christmas Eve because it's everybody together usually and have a few drinks, play some poker. That's become a uh, a new Christmas tradition at the Rosenhardt house. Not for real money or anything, but, you know. And uh, so we get, to, uh, we get to sleep in, but not really because usually mom and dad are I, I swear to god they wake up and they're deliberately making noise like because <laughs> i'll sleep in the basement so i can hear them moving chairs upstairs and stomping around and stuff like that so uh but they're more excited about that aspect of christmas now than the kids seem to be and i don't know i don't know why that is but because it used to be a big deal for you guys and they miss that i would assume it's a I little empty so. nest thing maybe probably probably those pathetic parents <laughs> but um I mean, I, I, again, I still look forward to it. I like waking up with everybody, having a coffee, bitching about the weather, eating chocolate. Because 
<laughs> that winds up being the only thing we eat all day until we have turkey. Nita's uh, mom, apparently, when they were young, started a tradition of putting a uh, a little mandarin orange in the toe of their stocking. So they would always have guaranteed something healthy that they were eating on Christmas Day. Wow. And, of course, that they would snack on that while they were opening presents and such. And she still does it. Like, I'll go, and now I've got a stocking at their place. Yeah. And there's a mandarin orange in the toe. Like, that's just the way it's done. That's awesome. It is kind of awesome. I might steal that idea. I think the uh, closest I get to an orange is one of those Terry's chocolate oranges. I get those, too. Yeah. I don't... I don't eat the fruit until the cranberry sauce comes out. <laughs> yeah, that's how I roll. Now, of course, we have, I know you have cats. Yeah, I have a cat, yes. You have a cat. I have a dog, and uh, my dog understands Christmas. I, I need you to comprehend what I am saying. Okay, please explain. He, he knows that it is Christmas. He, he understands that when the tree is up and all the presents are out and the stockings are full, that it is Christmas time. And he gets super excited because he's going to get stuff. He's like a little kid. It's unbelievable. Last time we did Christmas uh, morning at my parents' place, uh, Nita was sleeping in the guest bed. And she could hear all night Zach, our dog, uh, going up to my parents' room, checking on them for a little while. And then down the stairs and into the guest room <laughs> to check on her. And then down into the basement to check on me. And then back up to the main floor to go into the living room to make sure everything is still there for Christmas. And he'd go back into my parents' room. Like endlessly. And, and, and no, hold on. And he'd stop for like 15 minutes. He'd be sleeping. And then he'd start again and he'd make his round. And he would make these rounds all the time, like through the night. Because he was super excited. And then when people started to wake up, oh boy, it's Christmas time. And we have to open his presents first. <laughs> like he has his own stocking full of stuff. He doesn't get like wrapped presents. Yeah. But he has his own stocking full of stuff. And like I pull his stocking down and he's ready to go and he's pulling stuff out of it. He actually pulls he, stuff out. Oh, yes. He'll go into his stocking and pull stuff out. He's uh, adorable. But also basically like a kid on Christmas morning. That's wicked. I've only done a few Christmases with my cat because typically I go to Calgary and I can't really bring her with me because she is a disaster in the car. Like if you put her in in her little carry thing in the car, like and I'll take her to the vet. And it's and it's not cuz we're going to the vet, it's just cuz she hates the goddamn car. She will cry, but <sighs> cat crying is even more strange and annoying than a, a baby crying. Yes. Because it's just like, it, it almost sounds like she's in a cat fight, but only for a brief couple of seconds. Every meow is just like, Rawr! like it's it's the worst sound ever. And I would not suffer that for three hours driving to Calgary. I have trouble taking her to the doctor because it's just, it stresses me out so much. But when we do, because sometimes I'll do um, uh, gift exchanges with roommates and friends and they'll come over and... Uh, Mooney, my cat, is is like all over when she sees like a box that's wrapped in something. I think she might know that that paper's coming off and that it means that she has something to play with, 
you know, she'll ignore all of her other toys and play with with wrapping paper and like, you know, climb around in it, climb underneath it, try and peek outside of it, claw at you. And and then if someone gets a gift that's in a box large enough that she can get inside of it, well, that's like her toy for the next two months. It's fantastic. Uh, it means that basically all I ever have to do is buy stuff for other people when it's necessary, say birthdays and whatnot. And hopefully there's a box I can give to the cat. But that's that's the extent of Christmas for her. Like I get her stuff. She doesn't know. She's just like, oh, cool. Right on. You're doing that thing. I'm going to be over here smelling something that you can't see. <laughs> Anyways. Because that's how cats roll. That's It's it's kind of annoying. I We have two dogs, too, and they're both idiots. So, yeah, they don't really get Christmas. They're just like, uh, what are you guys doing? You're not going to pet me? Okay, I'll lay down and watch you creepily. It's terrifying. Very terrifying. Anyways, um, so uh, what were we talking about? We we did get a little sidetracked. We did. We were talking about pets. We were. Uh, before we do anything else, a couple of our listeners sent us some uh, Christmas stories, and and I find uh, that a couple of people send us Christmas stories. So what we're going to do is uh, Scott and I will take turns. We'll read them. Uh, because we have such soothing voices. So what I want you to go to, to go and do, dear listener, is draw a bath. Okay. Light some candles. If you don't have a bath, fill a small bowl with hot water and place your hand in it. Then with your other hand, light a candle. Hopefully it's scented. Fry up some bacon to add to the ambiance in the room. <laughs> Because, because that is how you enjoy a story as read by me and by Scott C. Bourgeois. Here we go. Laura Semenyuk sent us a story uh, because I was asking some of our listeners on Twitter for mall Santa stories, creepy mall Santa stories. So this is what Laura has to say. She calls it Christmas with the creeps. Now, imagine that I am a woman reading this to you. My name is Laura. The smell of bacon. Here we go. One of the worst Christmas time experiences for me as a mom is Mall Santa Picture Time. I spend all year trying to teach my children to be weary of strangers and to protect them from creeps. Then comes Christmas. Dun, dun, dun. I throw all that work and effort out the window and place my daughters on some strange, creepy guy's knee. Now, I, she trusts that uh, malls do some due diligence and make sure that Santa is not a shady individual, but they don't always seem to manage getting a reputable person who also looks nice and friendly. So it's either friendly, smelly hobo or sex offender. For my oldest daughter's first three mall Santa photos, the gentleman elf was the same elf each year. He seemed to be a happy guy who clearly had experience with kids. He didn't try too hard to engage the littlest of little people, seemingly understanding that the littlest ones tend to think Santa is a big bad man who will possibly bite them. True story. No, it's not. That never happened. Original West Edmonton mall Santa, as she calls him, was the best of the best mall Santas. Then, in 2007... The world changed. Actually, it changed for Edmonton because a movie was made at West Edmonton Mall called Christmas in Wonderland, and it was 
probably one of the shittiest movies ever made in the history of film. But it was hilarious because it was so totally about Edmonton. Like they didn't like they weren't pretending they were in some other city that had a big mall. They're like, oh, we're in Edmonton. What do we do? Let's go to the mall. It was bizarre, bizarre, so bad and really funny. I suggest you get extremely intoxicated on rum and eggnog and go watch it. However, the problem with this movie is that West, the West Edmonton Mall people decided to do something else with their mall Santa. So when Laura's kids get to the front of the line to see Santa, they're instead facing Father Christmas, a tall, skinny, kind of creepy, close-talking kind of Father Christmas. Now, this is the kind of guy that they got. The resulting picture consists of Laura's eldest turned away from Father Christmas with a look on her face that clearly states, I'm having the no feeling. And then there is uh, Laura's youngest, who is grasping the arm of the chair and appears ready to vault over the side in an attempt to flee. Um, Laura did send us a, a, a photograph, and I can attest that uh, that is indeed what it looks like. But I'm not posting pictures of someone else's kids on the Internet, so you'll just have to believe me. Thankfully, in 2008, Santa made a triumphant return. Her kids were less confused, and she was happier with the new mall Santa until he looked at her littlest, and the littlest cried her eyes out. I mean, that's kids are afraid of Santa. Apparently, in some, I'm going to say European traditions, sure. uh, instead of having a mall Santa, which the kids line up and uh, sit on their knee and tell them what they want for Christmas, they have the three wise men. Really? Yeah. And your only choices are gold, frankincense, or... Well, no, but they brought the original gifts to Jesus. And so the idea is that you go and you tell the wise men what you want. I I think it's an intriguing twist on the mall Santa. I think so, too. But now here's a question for you. Who picks frankincense and myrrh? Like, gold is the obvious choice, right? All right, I was just checking. There's, uh, well, there's justification for it. I'm sure. I just don't know what it is. This next story Scott's going to read is from a uh, listener, Kiri, whose last name starts with a W, and I'm not going to slaughter it by saying it right now, but it ends with a ski. All right. <clears throat> she writes, I saw the ad in the journal Classifieds looking for Santa's helpers at Southgate Mall. Please apply at one of the photography stores, it asked. So I did, figuring it would be a festive way to get some extra spending money for the 1990 holiday season. I don't remember having an interview, but I did get the job. I needed to supply the white tights and blouse, but the rest of my costume was provided. Skirt, vest, and hat. The elves would get changed in a vacant space in the mall around the corner from the Santa display. I remember being horrified and embarrassed, as only 14-year-old girls can be, about having to walk in my costume through the mall. Once I reached Santa's stage, it was fine, but that walk from the change room was excruciating. The job was simple. Greet the customers, sign them up for a photo package, arrange the kids on Santa's knees, center the scene in the frame, and snap the photo. This was of course pre-digital. The trick was determining whether the kids were going to get happier the more they talked with Santa, in which case we'd take the picture after Santa's chat, or whether an imminent meltdown required quick photography skills. We had jingle bells to get the littlest kids to at least look in the right direction, but there was often a lot of cajoling to eke out a smile. Fortunately, This was before the overt sexualization of tweens that the Miley Cyrus generation deals with. And so I was quite naive of the fact that the elves could be regarded as anything other than friendly helpers, despite the fur-trimmed red velvet miniskirts we all wore. (laughs) There were four different men who took on the role of Santa Claus during the season, and for the most part, they were great. Great with the kids, jolly through their shifts, and fun to work with. But there was one of the Santas who was just a little off. Uh Uh-oh. 
During downtimes, he'd make comments that were just a touch inappropriate. If you ended up on his lap, because sometimes people wanted the elves in their photos too, sometimes a white-gloved hand would linger just a little too long, just a little too low. None of the elves really liked working with him, but we mostly just ignored him. One day when I was working with Creepy Santa, one word, a mom brought her two young kids for their picture. It was all going fine. The kids smiled for the photo. They were excited to tell Santa their wish lists, and he was playing along well. But then as the kids got off Santa's lap, he said in this low, gruff voice, Hey kids, don't you think my elves are sexy? And just to be clear, it was a low, gruff, super creepy voice. Super creepy voice. Now, that was crossing the line for me and my elfish co-worker. It was one thing to be creepy on his downtime, but in front of the kids... Don't make Santa creepy for the kids. We both complained to the manager at the photography store at the end of our shift, and Creepy Santa was never heard from again. Wow. The the end. That is extremely ominous. That is that is a very creepy. He's probably, oh my God, he might still be out there in the bushes right now. <laughs> mall, still in his mall Santa costume. I've I've always wanted to do the mall Santa thing just to see what it's like. Except that I I know I'd be terrible at it. You know I you. Five minutes of that, people sitting on your lap constantly. Ugh, that gets old. I want a pony. You can't have a fucking pony. <laughs> let's change the subject entirely. And Very talk, well. And let's talk about... Um, I, I want to talk about Christmas movies because we, we've written this this post on uh, theunknownstudio.ca and uh, you know we talk a little bit about Christmas films that we like and I think we only listed four or five on there, let's say. Um, and w- I actually started watching one of them. Uh, before I came here to record, uh, Scrooged but with uh, with Bill Murray, and uh, what other famous actors are in it? There aren't any, are there? Well, Bobcat Goldthwait. Well, yeah, I guess he's sort of famous. He's he's known. He's recognizable. But uh, you know, it's it's such a it's a great film because it does capture the the story of Scrooge in such a really well. It just does it really well. Yeah, like. Uh, and I believe I mentioned this in the post, is that it takes the classic story and it moves it into a modern setting. And I use modern slightly facetiously because it's the modern day of like 1988. Yeah, yeah. But it's still, it's it's modern. It's recognizably in our time. And they don't lose anything. They don't lose any of the, the kind of the spookiness because A Christmas Carol is a ghost story. But if anything, I would argue, okay, for me, it was scarier than, than A Christmas Carol. And, and maybe that has maybe as a kid it was a little more. I don't know, man. I'm watching it again tonight. Like where that where his uh, old boss is is the um, Jacob Marley character, and he comes in and and uh, and like grabs him by the throat and pushes him out of a building because the the dead guy's arm falls off. Like that's creepy. You you can't tell me that like that. Uh, was that really what Dickens intended? I don't think so. I want to make a joke about scaring the Dickens out of people, but I'm not going to do it. And they, they make a joke like that in the movie. But yes, Dickens did intend that. For it he to be was, that terrifying. He was writing a ghost story. And I mean, it's a pretty tame ghost story by today's standards. I suppose. We're used but, to zombies. But back in the day... That would have been a rel- that would have been a spooky story with a with a wonderful ending. Like it's about it's about a man who is so self-centered and so uh, just closed in and just so at odds with the world around him. He just, he wants nothing to do with the world around him and is given basically uh, a dire warning about, you know, how people will just remember him as this curmudgeonly old 
schmuck who nobody liked uh, because he hasn't left his mark on on anybody else. Because as rich as he is, he is not rich of spirit. He has not touched the lives of others. He's not enriched anyone else. And that's... And then, then it follows his road to redemption of him remembering what it was like when he was young and innocent and then understanding uh, what's going, getting a glimpse of the world that he's shut himself out of. Well, and that he's, and, and the consequences of the things that he's done or hasn't done, right? Indeed. And, and then through that, through that revelation, he, he has a life-changing epiphany and he becomes a better person. And that is... A timeless story. It's so good. A Christmas Carol is my favorite Christmas story. Yeah. Bar none. It is my favorite Christmas story. And Scrooge is my favorite retelling of it because it's so different from all of the other movies about A Christmas Carol because they're all yeah. basically the same thing told with a different actor playing Scrooge because every actor wants to play Scrooge. Of course. And that's fine. But they they did something different with it without losing Anything. anything. Yeah, no, I, they remained completely faithful to the uh, the plot. And, like, it's amazing to watch it because, you know, now that I'm much older than I used to be, because who isn't? Everybody. Um, and, you know, now that I'm watching it as an adult, uh, I, I totally get how how exactly bang on it is with the Christmas Carol. Like, it's just, it nails it. And the, the characters that they create for the ghosts are awesome like the so there so he's visited the ghost of christmas past is this um ghostly cab driver who's like totally obnoxious new yorker dude and uh but but you know he's he's there showing the main character frank cross like what his childhood was like and and some and what the impact of some of his choices were but he's not and he acts like a dick towards bill murray but he still totally sympathizes like when when uh, Frank Cross sees his mom for the first time and he starts crying and the guy was ribbing him about it earlier. But then and he's like, yep, I knew this was going to happen. You know, he, they, like they're hilarious. They're douchebags, but they're, they're not like they're still totally accessible, uh, flawed and human ghosts. And then the second one, that spinny fairy girl who keeps punching him in the face <laughs> is just off the hook. She I think she's my favorite, actually, because she literally knocks some sense into him literally and of course the ghost of christmas future has always got to be terrifying right and they do it so well and unexpectedly yeah oh um, my god yes i totally forgot about the scene you're referring to when uh there's a scene where frank cross you guys you have to see this movie if you haven't seen scrooged go out and rent it buy it because it's one of those movies you'll watch every christmas uh he well, I'm not going to spoil it, but he doesn't believe that the ghost of Christmas future is actually the ghost of Christmas future. Because they, and and there's there's a little meta plot going on where he is a TV executive and they're doing a live Christmas Eve broadcast of A Christmas Carol. Yeah. So he thinks that he's run into an actor, but it's not an actor. Yeah. It's not an actor. The actor or the person who gets on the uh, elevator with him is in fact the ghost of Christmas future. And when he draws back the ghost of Christmas future's robes, he's treated to a surprise. The likes of which you haven't seen since Total Recall. And that's all I'll say. (laughs) 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 Uh, That's not a Christmas movie, but boy, I wish it was. I wish I'm, I'm actually working... By the time you guys are listening to this, you'll see the Arnold Schwarzenegger post on the theunknownstudio.ca. Um, I'm a big fan of Arnold's. 
and I didn't really realize it until recently. I, I, I watch an awful lot of his movies, and they're really great. Most of them are really great movies. He has never done a good Christmas movie. Jingle All the Way is the only one I can think of that would be a Christmas movie. Yeah, and, and that is certainly not good. Well, no. But I don't think you can put an actor like that in a movie like that, you know? You can, but well, you have with, to be smart about it. Yeah, like, I don't know. So, I mean, Bill Murray works great for... Uh, for Scrooge, but could you imagine, like, if, <laughs> if that were Arnold Schwarzenegger? It'd be terrible. Yeah, like that whole scene. Uh, anyways, forget it. You know, we're going to do one day, we're going to do a show on what would it have been like if actor X played major film character Y? Like, for example, uh, if Christopher Walken played Darth Vader in the original Star Wars series. That would be hilarious. And we're going to do a show where we speculate on that, so I'm not going to get into it right now. But yeah, Scrooge, I think, collectively is probably our favorite Christmas show. Agreed. But there are other good ones well, that I mean, we bring up as well. There are. Um, I've seen it a lot in the past few weeks, actually, on TV, and I don't own it on DVD, which is surprising because I like the Vacation series of movies. Chevy Chase, The Griswold Family, uh, Vacation, European Vacation, Christmas Vacation, Vegas Vacation. They're all guilty pleasures yeah. because they're legitimately funny. But Christmas Vacation is the standout one of them all. And it is a classic Christmas movie. And it's another movie from the 80s, and I grew up in the 80s, which is why I would consider it a classic, (laughs) much like Scrooge. But I can't imagine a Christmas without having watched that movie because it is that integral to to the whole Christmas experience to me. And it's all over TV right now, and, and rightly so. If you have not seen National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, I'm not joking. Turn off this podcast. Get in your car. Go and get this movie. Bring it home. Watch it. We won't be offended because we won't know that you turned us off. we know you're going to come right back to us after uh, to listen to uh, all the fantastic Christmas movie insights we're throwing at you. Christmas Vacation is fantastic. I, you know what? It is. I like it now. When I was a kid, I hated it because I found it really depressing. It was such a. There were so many scenes where, um, Randy Quaid's character is just such a miserable, shitty human being. Well, no, he's not a shitty human being. He's a shitty looking human being. <laughs> and and you know he's just not a relatable character for me. So that was I found that really off putting when I was a kid. That was the only thing I could focus on. And it was weird because I also found it depressing when I was younger. Yeah. Uh, but for an entirely different character, I thought that it was depressing because of all the misery that Clark Griswold was going through. Because he just really wants to have a nice family Christmas and it's all going to shit. Yeah. And now I watch it and I really enjoy it because that's the point. Oh, I know. I know. But if, when I was a kid, it was just like it did not... It did not... Uh... Blend well with my perception of what Christmas was all about. When I was a kid, my perception of what Christmas was all about was like uh, the Disney Christmas Carol, where uh, I think is it it's Scrooge McDuck who plays Scrooge, and uh, that's probably as a, as a kid the movie that I watched the most. And I never really got into the original um, film that whatever they do now, the Christmas Carol. Isn't there a classic film for the for a Christmas Carol? There are dozens of them. There are dozens of classic. Films. There are dozens of classic Christmas carols. Um, there is kind of one. Yeah, I thought there was that with uh, someone who's famous. Well, possibly. Yes. Uh, there is one Christmas Carol movie that uh, is generally regarded 
as far as I understand it, as kind of like the... Uh, Canon, basically? Well, as like the classic one. It was, it was Scrooge. It was 1951. And it's starring Alistair Sim. Okay, yes. And, and that is, as, as I understand it, that is considered to be like the, the go-to classic version. Yeah, Mickey's Christmas Carol and, and The Muppet Christmas Carol, actually. Those, are, those to me, are newer classics, uh, classic takes on, uh, on that ancient tale. And you know what? As far as I'm concerned, they can remake Christmas Carol as often as they want because it is such a timeless story and it is there's so much material that i i never get tired of seeing it in any incarnation yeah like i could see any actor play any of the roles and so long as they're doing it well i will enjoy it well actually you know one of the things that i i like to do for my mom when she was still living in edmonton was every christmas time we started this tradition when i was much older and had money, but I would take her to the Citadel's production of A Christmas Carol. And it's the same every year. Exactly they, they the same every they year. They don't change anything. The set pieces are the same. The actors are the same. And it's awesome. Every year it's awesome. Every year at the end of the play, yes, 20s of listeners, I move to tears. Because they do such a great job of telling that quintessential human spirit story. Oh, yes. That was a lot of adjectives I just threw in there. You did. Uh, there's another good adaptation of A Christmas Carol, actually, yeah. which was for television. Uh, it was 1984, and George C. Scott uh, played Scrooge. And uh, David Warner, who I'm a fan of, he's uh, a British actor who a lot of people might not know. That's fine. He's, he's good. He plays uh, Bob Cratchit. And it is a really good adaptation. It's a little longer because they... They have it's a TV miniseries. They have more time to spend dwelling on on different aspects of like Scrooge's past and whatnot than you'd have oh, in a movie. Okay. But it's a really really good version that I've seen on television a couple times during the Christmas season, and uh, that's also one that's definitely worth finding. You know, I don't know if I'm. What else has George C. Scott been in? Oh my God, so much! I recognize the name absolutely. Uh, Forgive you me, put me on listener. the spot, but George C. Scott. Doctor Strangelove. Oh, that's a great movie. Yes, yes, that's who he is. Um, did he play the guy who was obsessed with water? Yes, he was General Buck Turgidson. I haven't seen that movie in a long time. I'd like to watch that again. It's a great film. It is. But uh, he was in Patton as well. I uh, guess that would be that would be the big... Named after the general? Uh, George, George C. Scott, Scott, of course, played George S. Patton. Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, that's probably where he's most famous. Now, is. are you familiar with the Christmas movie? I think it's called... Uh, I always get this one confused. It's called A Christmas Story, I think. And it's about that little kid who wants the BB gun. Yes. Uh, that one is bizarre. I like that Christmas movie, but it is so strange. I've heard a lot of people say they don't like A Christmas Story. It's got... It's like this cult movie. It's yeah. this cult Christmas movie. And it's got a sharp divide between the people who really like it and the people who really don't. Yeah. I, I'd fall on the more like it side. I think it's a funny movie. I think so, too. I think it's kind of quirky. The kid who played Ralphie uh, is still working in Hollywood, mostly as a producer, though. Oh, really? Little known fact. Really? Yeah. He still does work there. And instead of BB guns, he has semi-automatic weapons because he can afford them now. Probably. He can. If we could all buy semi-automatic weapons, we would. Admit it. I probably wouldn't. I'd probably just get a sword or something, like a samurai sword. But that is also a good uh, Christmas movie. Yeah, it is. I'm trying to think of other ones, but uh, oh, you know what? You know what? I've never ever watched. 
and this is the year I'm going to do it. It's a Wonderful Life. You've never watched It's I a have, Wonderful I'm Life. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I took countless useless film classes in university, and and uh, it seems to me that a Jimmy Stewart movie, the 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 timeless classic that they play every year around Christmas, is a film I should have seen but have not. Indeed. Uh, and that's all I want to really say about that. The other one that I've never seen in full, but I'm certain I know every single line from it just because of pop culture, is The Grinch Who Stole Christmas. The original... I haven't seen it in a long time. I've never seen the whole thing through. I, and I'm we're sure referring to the original cartoon here, yeah, not yeah. the Jim Carrey adaptation. No, and I've never seen that one either. The Grinch is a good classic. It is. It's it's a, different. Well, and I like I like this the Susian language, like uh, the gibberish that he says, the cap dabblers and stuff like that. And I only know that line because Mr. Burns was made to look like the Grinch in an episode of The Simpsons. In a number of episodes of The Simpsons, actually, <laughs> yes. it's one of their go-to uh, <laughs> jokes with Mr. Burns that he's basically the Grinch. <laughs> he is the Grinch. Uh, I I really wish that The Simpsons. I think their Christmas specials are terrible. Which is a shame because they're well-renowned for their Halloween specials. Yes, exactly. And and I think that, well, maybe they didn't want to go with the same format, you know, uh, three short movie or three short films or episodes or whatever. But um, they were just, they're bad. Now, there was there a Christmas episode where they got Santa's Little Helper? Yes. I believe that was, in fact, the first one. Uh, yeah, I think it might have been. Lisa, yes, Maggie was dressed up like a star. Yes. Literally. But they just, I don't know, they just can't get it right. There are very few shows, I think, that do good Christmas shows. One of them is 30 Rock. 30 Rock makes, their their Christmas episode is hilarious. Yes. Like, I'm always howling with That's laughter. because 30 Rock is hilarious. Oh, my God. And I'm always howling with laughter. Yeah. That's a good show. You should watch You it. should watch 30 Rock because Tina Fey is sexy- as is Jack Donahue, let's be fair. Oh, I love Jack Donahue. I was joking recently with someone. We were trying to come up with uh, drinks named the Liz Lemon and the Jack Donahue, but we couldn't figure out what would be in them, except that the Liz Lemon would obviously have some sort of lemon liqueur in it, <laughs> and the Jack Donahue had to have Jack Daniels in it. That's the, the only thing we could figure out. So send me an email with good, unique drink recipes so that I can say that I have made a Liz Lemon and a Jack Donahue. That's Scott at theunknownstudio.ca. Um, Get them to me soon, and I might be able to drink them on Christmas. Oh, God, I hope so. <laughs> what are you doing, Scott? I'm drinking Liz Lemon. Okay, buddy, whatever you say. The Liz Lemon would have to have, like, a sandwich in it. Because <laughs> she's just always eating. That's kind of gross. <laughs> well, she'd still probably drink it. Yeah, probably. That's how she rolls. The traditional Christmas meal with all the trimmings. Be sure to save room for seconds. Seconds. Some would settle for firsts. This year, help the Christmas Bureau provide a festive meal to over 60,000 less fortunate Edmontonians, including families, seniors, and singles. Make a tax-deductible donation, become a private hamper sponsor, or organize a fundraiser. Call 421-XMAS or visit christmasbureau.ca. Donate at Bonnie Doon Shopping Centre, Commerce Place, or ATB Financial. And thank you. This will be my first Christmas with Rachel. 
And fortunately, both of our parents live in Calgary. She's there right now. So I'll be going down to visit her on, well, when you hear this podcast, probably Christmas Eve. And, uh, you know, it'll be the first time that I'm sort of hanging out with her family a little bit while I hang out with mine. So that should be interesting. I hope nothing crazy happens. I seriously don't know if anything crazy will happen, but I seriously hope it doesn't. I've been doing Christmas with Anita long enough now that we've got it basically down to a science. Really? So Christmas science? Yep. Christmas is not a science, Scott. It is an art. The art of Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> the art of Christmas. It's like Sun Tzu's classic immortal, The Art of War. Yes. The Art of Christmas by Adam Rosenhart. Exa- that would be hilarious, wouldn't it? No, you're right. It wouldn't. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, dear. dear. Let's do presents. Let's exchange gifts. Uh, So we had, what was our, our limit was 25 bucks, right? I believe that is correct. Okay, good. So I I stayed basically below the limit, Mm -hmm. um, except for taxes. This is the worst secret Santa ever, by the way, because there (laughs) was just the two of us. Yeah. Once we have a staff of people working for us and doing our bidding... This will be way more awesome. Send your resumes to Adam at the unknown studio. <laughs> All right. How do you want to do this? Merry Christmas, Adam. Thank you, Scott. Lovely. Did you wrap this yourself? No, I had a need to do it. I'm actually really bad at wrapping presents. Really? And uh, it's not that I don't like doing it. It's that I'm just kind of bad at it. So I And Anita loves doing it and is good at it. So I just get her to do that. <gasps> Oh my god! I got Lego Batman the video game. And you know what's funny was I was in uh, for the PlayStation 3. Thank you so much, Scott. I was in HMV the other day and I have Lego Indiana Jones. And I was looking at this and I was like, I should get that. Thank you very much. Something for you to play leading up to Christmas when you get better gifts. <laughs> I don't know if I will. I asked for socks and underwear this year. So I, like- I look forward to getting socks and underwear every year, actually, because uh, that's like my big restock, usually. Really? Yeah. Yeah, that, that's My true. socks and underwear supply will last me for a good 12 months, <laughs> and then I get replenished at, uh, at Christmas. So time. on Christmas Eve, Scott is wearing threadbare boxer shorts. <laughs> Just disgusting. Not, not quite that dire. Okay, so I spread out the $25 because I thought it would be funny to get you a bunch of little stuff. This first gift, there, <laughs> for there are three. I uh, got you one thing. You got me no, dude, 20 things this, that cost a dollar. This is brilliant. <laughs> 20 things. Yes, I got you 20 loonies and a uh, Starbucks card with $5 on it. Uh, wow, so thoughtful. Scott, What Scott is opening right now is a package that is a Dutch tradition. At every Christmas, me and my brothers, and, and a lot of Dutch families do this, we get a milk chocolate letter. And the letter is from the beginning of your first name. So I get a, I get an A. Scott is holding a T. And the reason for that is because they were out of S's. Well, there you go. So I got the next letter in the alphabet. No. Oh. That's not how I did it. I wanted to get B for bourgeois. They didn't have B's either. Oh, my God. And then I thought, since you go by Scott C., and you've got two C's in your name, one immediately following the S in your first name, I would get you a C. Well, they didn't have that. So I went for the next letter that appeared in Scott's name that was available. So he's got a milk chocolate tea. Hooray. <laughs> Delicious milk chocolate tea. I'm not going to eat it now. No, I don't expect you to. But yeah, that's a, that's a little Dutch tradition. Aside from the uh, sausage pastries, <laughs> that's how we roll. 
The next gift is heavy. Yeah, did you hear that, everybody? But it's the gift that keeps on giving. Oh, it does, because it's the gift of alcohol. Yes, sir. I got him a four-pack of Alley Cat Raspberry Mead. Which is delicious, because it's uh, it's beer that tastes like a girly drink. Yeah. So it bridges the gap. You yeah. can still feel manly and have a beer, and have it taste like a delicious frou-frou girly drink. Yes, it's it's actually the ultimate metrosexual drink. And uh, if you're into medieval times, you can say that you're drinking mead, which is pretty awesome. So there you go. And actually, the last time I was over at Scott's place playing board games, we drank mead, did we not? Yes, we did. Now. There might even be a picture of it at theunknownstudio.ca. That's right. We've got a photo stream at the bottom of the website. That website's pretty... Pretty good looking. It's pretty rad. I'm pretty happy with it. Me too. Now, the last gift. This I bought, uh, it was kind of a lark because I came across it at a craft show. Yes, that is the sound of Scott's gift opening. (laughs) He's having a lot of trouble with it because I went a little crazy with the tape. So these are papercraft characters that uh, you can pop out and fold and make into little guys with giant heads. They're called blockheads. I'm trying to figure out how to make it work. I think you slide that thing down. (laughs) Just slide it down, Scott. Gently. Do it doucement. Do it very slowly. Or something. Someone's quoting an Arnold movie. Yes, sir. That's right. True lies for those of you who don't know, but you do know because oh you read God, it on our website. Stuff flying everywhere. So yeah, you've got uh, six different dudes I think that you can choose from just by flipping them over. Maybe not. Anyways, fun times. Uh, for the record, there is a pirate, a ninja, a robot, and the knight. Yeah, the knight's probably the scariest one. You know what? Here's the thing. I was um. I was putting a uh, an article together today for the uh, for the unknown studio, which may be on the website by the time that you download this uh, this podcast on Christmas Eve. And uh, I was looking for images of said character, a popular uh, robot from from pop culture, of course, and found a blockhead. Did you really of that character? Yeah, cool. Online. I I really. Um... One of the websites that I read a lot is Boing Boing, and uh, some of their authors are really into papercraft stuff. So whenever I see, like, a, most recently I think someone made, like, a, a papercraft Link character from Zelda. And it's, I mean, I just find it so fascinating and cool what you can do with paper. The Chinese already know this. It's called origami. I think that's Japanese. Shit! <laughs> I have revealed my ignorance and I would ask, Scott, that you leave this on the show. People must know. People deserve to know what they've uh, invested in for the last six months. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm not really. I'm trying to open this game because I want to look through the instruction <laughs> book. <laughs> there was concern, 20s of listeners, oh. that uh, that we would not be able to carry a show, just the two of us, that we needed that guest because... We are neither witty nor funny enough on our own without outside material. And yet we've been talking now for 50 minutes ceaselessly about random Christmas-related gack. And uh, hopefully you haven't completely tuned us out by now. 
But I think we have proven that we cannot carry a show on our own. <laughs> Which is why, uh, starting after our break, in January, we will have guests again. That's right. We just wanted to try this, you guys, to see if it would work. And when we find out that this is the least downloaded episode of The Unknown Studio, we'll bring guests back. What if it's the most downloaded episode of The Unknown Studio? Okay, that's a fair question. It's not likely <laughs> because, let's face it, Scott, we're not Carrie Williams. No, he was uh, what precipitated our rise, our meteoric rise. To 20s of listeners. To 20s of listeners. Uh, because his show was downloaded how much? Uh, over 500 times. Within a month. And, but you know what? To be fair, I think I think we're just getting awesome. I just I really feel like we're awesome, and that that's why people are listening to us. Please, God, or gods, that has to be what this is about. Because Karen's episode, episode thirteen, where we we talked to the Edmonton Journal's online editor Karen Unland. You can follow her on Twitter. You can follow her in public, but you might get in trouble for the latter. Uh, she's been her episode's been downloaded over one hundred and fifty times. Okay. And when we started doing this, uh, shows on average, we'd probably get about 100 downloads. So I am officially declaring right now here on Christmas Eve, the Unknown Studio is officially a big deal. And hopefully a year from now, we're bigger than Jesus. You say on Christmas. Yes. <laughs> Classy. Well, f keep in the class. Up until he's born, we're better than him. <laughs> Bigger than him, not better. I never said, never said better. Hopefully, hopefully by this time next year, we are a bigger deal. That seems to be a safer thing to say. I finally got uh, the Batman Lego video game open. Now, I actually already own the Batman Lego video game, and it's quite good. Is it? I love. I think Lego has done some pretty cool. Uh, you know what? The one, the one I haven't played is Star Wars. But someone told me that the Star Wars Lego game is really hard. Man, man, man. <laughs> what was that sound you just made? Man, man. <laughs> it's uh, it can be hard, I suppose, but not really. So I mean, Lego the Lego games are ultimately made for kids. Yeah. Really. What you're saying is, um, you're awesome at Lego games. Yes. That's what I'm hearing. That's what I'm saying. Whatever. Whatever. I think it's time for the Fast 15. Well, we both know how this works. So, uh, as I stated to you before, Scott and I are going to do the Fast 15 to each other. Uh, we each get two passes, and we each get asked two wild card questions. Would you like to do your first fa Fast 15 on me? Uh, <laughs> it's never going to sound right. Do we want to alternate? And, uh, like, obviously, we're going to each go through the 15. Yes. But do you want to... Uh, like alternate question to question or go through all of them, one then the other? I think all of them, one then the other. All right. Adam, yes. are you ready to withstand the punishment of your own Fast 15? I've, I never thought that the Fast 15 would be used against me, but I'm ready. I, I can do this. All right. Here we go. Okay. Favorite food? Blue. Uh, red. <laughs> You've already screwed up. 
You've already screwed up. Favorite food. Favorite food is yeah. the Manor Pasta at the Manor Bistro. Very good. Favorite color? Blue. Mac, PC, or Linux? Mac. Dogs or cats? Both. Fair enough. First vehicle? Uh, a 1988 Vantage van that we called the Rape Van. Very nice. Favorite holiday? Christmas. Favorite sport? Hockey. Favorite pastime? Reading. Favorite music right now? Uh, right now, I am really into the Hood Internet mixtapes, thehoodinternet.com. Favorite movie? The Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou. The movie that you hate that everyone else seems to love? You know, I should have a better answer than this, but I'm going to have to go with Jerry Maguire. I believe that was Nita's answer, too. It might have been. Yeah. Anyways. The one movie that you get made fun of for loving? Uh, I was going to steal another one and say Hudson Hawk, but I really like Sister Act. I'm sorry. You've mentioned that a few times before. Proudest moment. Um, you know what, Scott? This might sound uh, like I'm putting you on, but I'm not. My proudest moment was starting and continuing to do this podcast. Fair enough. All right, first wild card question. Oh, dear. Who is your favorite Star Trek character? Wow. Bless you for asking me that question. I like them all. And at this particular moment, I'm actually going to pick Will Riker. And I'm going to pick Will Riker because he sucks. I, <laughs> <laughs> I love Commander Riker, but I love him because he's just totally useless. I was thinking this the other day. I was watching TNG because mm -hmm. I work strange hours and I'm often home during the afternoon. And because of that, I get an opportunity to watch all of my Star Trek. I get my Star Trek fix. And uh, they just finished the season with uh, the best of both worlds. Ah, yes. As the, the two-part season finale season. Four? Uh, Three. Sure. Anyway. Um, and I was watching that. And you know what I couldn't help but think? What? That I wish that the Star Trek producers at the time had had the balls to kill off Picard or at the very least have him retire after the whole Borg incident and have Commander Riker as the new captain it of would the have, ship. It would have made Riker with, less useless. With Shelby as his new first oh, officer. That would have been a way different Star Trek. But it would have been ballsy and interesting and it wouldn't have had Riker stalled in Picard's shadow for the next like 50 years of his I, life you know what I don't think you can do that in a Star Trek I don't think I don't think you can just kill off a character like that this isn't Battlestar Galactica here not everyone is expendable um Tasha Yar well and not everyone who's good or at least has a beard is expendable um that would have definitely made for an interesting Star Trek I I, I like Commander Riker because I like making fun of him because basically what he is is a glorified errand boy and and uh um techno babble interpreter so when when um when jordy starts talking about um whatever those particles are that have to do with time travel chroniton particles chroniton particles Riker will get up out of his chair look directly at the view screen and be like time travel Jordy's talking about time travel, dear viewer. Do you like my beard? By the way, that was the single worst Jonathan Frakes impression <laughs> I have ever seen. I was trying to sound like a douchebag. 
I don't think that Jonathan Frakes is a douchebag. I don't think Jonathan Frakes is a douchebag either. You, however, think Commander Riker is a douchebag. That is correct. And therefore, my favorite Star Trek character. There you go. Okay, second wild card question. Best Christmas present you ever got? Interesting question. Well, I figured in the spirit of the, the Christmas episode, we'd do a Christmas wild card. I want to tell you something about gifts. Generally, I don't remember them. I remember, seriously, cliche, but I remember the times I have at Christmas with my friends and family. Having said that, there was one Christmas that I remember a gift that I received because um, I really wanted it. It was a Transformer, but I don't remember what it was called, and I only remember that he was a space shuttle. Was it Astro Train? No, because Astro Train's bad, right? Astro Train was a Decepticon, but he turned into a space shuttle and a train and a robot. Uh, Might have been him. There you go. Best present ever. And that was the Fast 15 with me. It's time to perform the Fast 15 on Scott C. Bourgeois, my co-host. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. Your favorite food? Steak. Favorite color? Green. Mac, PC, or Linux? Gotta go PC. Dogs or cats? Dogs. Your first vehicle? My first vehicle that was mine was a teal green 1994 Pontiac Cutlass Supreme. Wow. Which was lovingly called Guzzy. And uh, it was it was actually a good, reliable automobile. It got me from point A to point B, but eventually it just got too expensive to uh, maintain. And uh, now I'm on my second vehicle, Sleek, sexy blue. My Which Pontiac, G- Pontiac G6, yes. <laughs> Wait for it. It just falls apart in the parking lot. Uh, your favorite holiday? Um, I'm kind of torn. I like Halloween a lot, but I like Christmas a lot. I think maybe it's just because it's the Christmas season right now. I'm going to have to go with Christmas. Fair enough. Your favorite sport? Uh, I'm not a big sports person, but if I had to pick one that I could sit down and watch with my friends regularly, I'd have to go hockey. Fair enough. Your favorite pastime? My, well, I'm pretty nerdy. Games. Yeah, I knew that. I knew that. What's your favorite music right now? Uh, right this instant, I've been listening to Christmas chip tunes. Not going to lie. 8-bit Christmas music. Oh, yeah. It's, I, I saw you uh, talking about that the other day. Yeah. And uh, uh, Ramin... Uh, who was on our third, third episode. episode and who has his own podcast called user created content. He really hates Christmas music and he's not from a Christian family at all. So mm-hmm. they don't really do Christmas, but he really hates Christmas music. And, uh, I work with him and I was playing the Christmas music on my computer at work, like loudly enough so that he could hear it. And he was really enjoying them. So I did, and in his words, I did something Every girl he's known since he was 19 has been unable to do. Make him enjoy Christmas music. I was wondering where you were going with that. Anyway, I like a lot of other music too, but that's just off the top of my head what I'm listening to right now. That's why we say right now, your favorite movie. Oh, God. This is the one that actually was giving me trouble. I cannot decide on just one movie that I like above all other movies. I like a lot of movies. Give us an example of a movie that you like. Um, you know what? Actually, no. My favorite movie ever, Hero, with Jet Li. I don't believe that I have seen that. It's a wire foo movie. I've totally I, seen it, and it's awesome. I like Asian movies, and it is 
astonishingly good. And I say that because uh, Anita and I went and saw it on a date when we were first early on in our in our dating careers. And uh, you made a career out of dating, Scott. I put a, I've invested a lot <laughs> into uh, my better half. Anyway, it was the only movie I can think of we ever went and saw where we were literally stunned speechless. Like we watched the movie and we left the movie and it was 10 minutes before either of us could say anything because we were just like blown away because it was so intricate and beautiful to look at. Like the story was good and the characters were good and it had kind of a Rashomon thing where you're hearing the same story from a bunch of different points of view, but visually it was astonishing and it just, it blew us both away. So yes, Hero, probably my favorite movie ever. You have made me want to go see it or want to go rent it again. A movie that you hate but everyone else seems to love. Uh, you mentioned Jerry Maguire, so I'm not going to cheap out and say that. I didn't really care for that movie either. I'm trying to think of something recent, actually. People tend to go back to classic movies. Did What about Little Miss Sunshine? I haven't seen Little Miss Sunshine. I actually think you'd like that movie. Fair enough. Um, a movie that everyone else seemed to like and I didn't really care. I would, okay, I have I have a good answer. Okay. I wouldn't go so far as to say I hate the movie, but I think it is way worse than a lot of people seem to make it out. Inglorious Bastards. Recent. Okay. And it it has its good parts, but overall it left me flat. I did not enjoy that movie. Oh. And everyone else I've spoken to has been like, this is the greatest movie I've ever seen. This is the greatest Quentin Tarantino movie. And I'm like, it's really not his best movie. It's really? not. And I've heard that from a lot of people as well. Did you, you know it's based on a movie from the 70s, right? Yeah, loosely. Yeah. It's also called Inglorious Bastards, but they spelled it correctly. Meh. But it's... Yeah, there was a lot of just superfluous stuff. And and you know what? Any movie that is three hours long that I look at my watch at the two-hour mark and go, when is this wrapping up? I'm not invested in it. Yeah, that's and I not did good. that in that movie. I did not do that in Lord of the Rings. I didn't do that in Titanic. But I did do that in Inglorious Bastards. And that, to me, was the moment where I went, I'm not liking this movie. Fair enough. And not the whole thing. There are parts of it I like. And I wouldn't go so far as to say I hate it. But it's the first thing I can think of off the top of my head, and it's a recent one that I think is way, way overhyped. I don't think it's as good as people say it is. Good answer. I'm still going to see it. Oh, uh, and I, I certainly say you should. To make my own judgment. Exactly. So what's the one movie that you get made fun of for loving? The Running Man. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I'd make fun of you, but it's an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie, and I think it's And really... you also rather like it. And what were some of the lines? We talked about this in another episode, like the, when uh, oh, the, the Sub-Zero. Sub-Zero now plain zero. Uh, <laughs> That's so stupid. There's, oh, what, what were some of the other ones? Sub-Zero he, now plain zero. He's got some of his best slash worst one-liners are from that movie. Yeah. And just the ridiculous over-the-top, <laughs> uh, <laughs> like, battle guys that he's going up against with like leds flashing on their arm and like giant chainsaws and whatnot yeah it just it, totally ridiculous movie and terrible terrible movie and i like how they but didn't so even... cor- but so corny that it actually becomes awesome totally again. and i like how like they didn't even try with the the host of the running man tv show they're just like uh he likes to kill people oh we'll call him killian then yes Yes, that's all we could come up with. Sorry, can't change it now. He's union. What was your proudest moment, Scott? Um, you know what? I'm not trying to cheap out here either because I know that you gave this answer a moment ago. But oh. 
probably starting this podcast as well, actually. There's a lot of pride in this room right now. We uh, we have invested too much in this podcast not to be really proud of it. That's right. So listen up. Oh, you are. Okay. Actually, I just thought of uh, Josie and the Pussycats as another movie that I like that I get made fun of for liking. Yeah, but I would argue that people who make fun of that movie, because I used to be one of them, have not even seen it. It's just a movie they assume is crappy, and it's actually hilarious. It's a very good movie. Now we're on to the wild card question. All right, let's do this. I'm glad you asked your second wild card question because my first wild card question is what is your worst Christmas gifts? What what's one of the gifts that you just got and you were like, "Oh man, like you don't even know me if you got this for me." Um the worst Christmas present I ever got. Jesus. Um That's a tough one. I'm I'm pretty happy with just getting stuff and it's and it's uh it's rare that I get something and I'm just like fake smile. Yeah, that's fantastic. But you know, I have been stuck with stuff in like those uh those uh, gift exchanges you have with your family or your coworkers yes. or whatnot which have been like, "Oh, that's fantastic." And uh in particular, I ended up with uh, a hanging outside lamp once which was totally useless and worthless and just like it was it was a terrible present i i don't even understand why uh someone would bring that to a gift exchange and here's the thing i I think i know why is that i i i had a really good gift that i really liked and then i got it stolen from me because of the stupid stealing rules and then i went and opened up another gift and got stuck with that and of course nobody's going to steal that from me because they'd be an idiot to do so yeah yeah and so i ended up stuck with this stupid hanging outside lamp like the kind that you'd bolt in uh, onto the side of your garage, you know, like it just what? totally worthless. Gets. That's that's awful. And uh, yeah, I was really disappointed with that one. Sorry, to I hear can't that. think of anything that like my family or Nita's ever gotten me where I've been like, blech. But yeah, I've been I've been I've been burned by the Christmas exchange before. Everyone has, my friend. You're not alone. And now your last wild card question: If the year were whatever year Hitler died in 1945 is that when he killed himself anyways you have the opportunity to steal the Fuhrer's wallet theft of his wallet will not change the course of history millions of people will still die or have still died anyway there is a fairly good chance you'll get caught for stealing the man's wallet from his pocket and maybe there's only 20 bucks in it do you steal his wallet? <laughs> what a strange question. My friend Neil came up with this question to as like to ask potential roommates. If someone's moving in with you, this is one of the questions you ask. And I always thought it was so funny. Is this some kind of bizarre character question? Yeah, I guess so. But so do you steal Hitler's wallet? I'm not going to steal Hitler's wallet. Why not? Because man? I don't want to get caught stealing Hitler's wallet. But if you get away with it, you can be like, dudes, look at how stupid his driver's license photograph is, <laughs> even though they didn't have them back then. I think that that's just a bad idea overall. I would I would say if there was no chance I would ever get caught, yes. But because there is the possibility that I could get caught, that is that is a shit storm I do not want to but, live through. But you can't just ask someone, if there's no possibility you'll get caught, would you steal Hitler's wallet? The answer is always yes. Always. Unless you're a Nazi. And that concludes the Fast 15 on the Unknown Studio. Having invoked Hitler and thus actually lowered the the level of discourse on our podcast.
So uh, we're taking a break because yeah. we're both busy this time of year. Of course. And we've also got uh, the uh, National Cup Conference coming up. Uh, yes, and for those of you who don't know, CUP is Canadian University Press, so they're hosting their annual National Student Journalism Conference in Edmonton this year. And we have been asked to come out and speak. That's true. And and actually, um, because of that, be, because it's actually an interesting event, and Scott and I wanted to get the perspectives of young student journalists on changing media, uh, we're going to have the editor-in-chief of the Gateway, on our next show, Mr. Mike Kendrick, and the president of Canadian University Press is also going to join us. I can't remember the man's first name right now, but his last name, unforgettable, is Fishbook. There you have it. So that's basically it for the Unknown Studio for 2009. Uh, Thank you very much for tuning in. We have plenty of great guests and topics lined up to go into uh, 2010, uh, leading up to our first anniversary show in about six months' time. Yeah, look out June. Here we come. Thank you guys so much for downloading the second to last episode five times or 500 times. It's just amazing. You've made this really a lot of fun for us and, and so easy for us to keep doing it. So, from the bottom of my heart, and the bottom of my heart. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. Thanks for listening, everybody. You've been listening to The Unknown Studio, Episode 14, our very special Christmas episode, 2009. Pre-production by Adam Rosenhart, post-production by Scott C. Bourgeois. You can visit us on the web at theunknownstudio.ca. Thanks for listening and have a very happy holidays.